As featured in the November 2023 issue of Men's Health magazine, To Catch a Con Man is the very intimate and detailed true story of exposing one of the most prolific and successful serial con men to operate in the Midwest. A career con man who was able to get away with scamming and stealing in and around the suburbs of Chicago for more than 40 years. What's even more interesting is that he had never been arrested in Illinois for running his scams, some that date as far back as the 1980s. If there is a living devil and evil on this earth, it is him. To Catch a Con Man is brought to you by Studio 847 in Long Grove, Illinois. Could a hundred grand sustain my life? It couldn't even come close. So, so listen to me. If I was going to be in some sort of of con, scam, conniving thing, it'd be for millions. It wouldn't be for $100,000. Listener discretion is advised, as some of this programming contains language and content that might be offensive to some listeners. Thank you for continuing to listen and support our story of To Catch a Con Man. On the last episode, Failed Attempts, Adam provided you with inside intelligence on some of the tactics and missions that failed early on in the official investigation. Does he have what it takes to get the goods and stand toe-to-toe with a monster like Ricky Dugo? Welcome back and watch out. Something wicked this way comes. Join me on this adventure to catch a con man. This is Adam Albin. It's Tuesday, August 21st, around 4 p.m. I am inside the Vernon Hills Police Department waiting for the police chief to give us the green light. I am an outsider of sorts to many cops that are going to be in the lifetime parking lot running their own digital surveillance. This band of law enforcement officials that has been asked to participate in the overhear mission are from a hodgepodge of policing entities. The Lake County Sheriff's Office makes up about half of this group. They are coming in from many different suburban towns and villages. The other half is coming out of Vernon Hills, about six police officers plus their police chief. Outside of these police officers, two detectives from the Special Investigator's Office, two additional cyber crime detectives, and Assistant Attorney Fred Day round out the group. I can tell that there's some excitement from this team, where many of these guys are on specialized task force within the county, and most of the operations they take part on are gang, drug, or vice-related. You know, the sexier crimes. I can tell that many of these guys are seasoned vets. There was never a point where I felt like if things were to go a little sideways, they were not going to have my back. They were going to keep me safe. To see them dressed in bulletproof vests under a t-shirt, all of them in blue jeans with leg-mounted firearms, was so different. I mean, in Vernon Hills, Illinois, the crime rate is pretty low and the village itself very safe. I am not sure how many specialized operations they support a year, so I think that there is a buzz that they are providing so much of this support. And because there are so many people in this group, I came to appreciate the coordinated effort in seeing how something like an overhear attempt came together. The team wraps up their pre-brief. 
and they let me know we are ready to go. Walking out of the Vernon Hills Police Department, me and this team of specialized law enforcement officers was like something from a Tarantino movie. I remember getting in my car and wondering if they were following me or if I was following them, and are they meeting me there? I couldn't remember, as the time to go was now, but I had completely spaced what I was doing. I see a few officers in a late model Jeep Cherokee, a couple others in a Toyota Crew Cab pickup, another group in an F-350. The Lake County detectives in ADA were more conspicuous. They were driving the pretty standard Ford Taurus sedans, built in more of a civilian package, black, brown, and gray, and sans light bar and spotlights. I am riding solo, driving a dark blue Mercedes E63S Estate, which is really just a fancy term for station wagon. I make the right-hand turn out of the police department, and I put on some of my favorite music. Most likely, I was listening to Dave Matthews, Smashing Pumpkins, or U2. It is an odd feeling to be driving around in a car with a seatbelt on, while wearing a wire and having the seatbelt passing diagonally over me. I can feel the microphone wire and tape starting to come undone. I could feel the tiny silver metal recording box that was literally taped to the small of my back when I pressed my back into the seat. To drive, I had to sit more upright and forward without the small of my back ever touching the seat. And that was a very unnatural way to drive. I was very hypersensitive to the entire contraption as I had this lingering fear that I would move a certain way and disconnect a cord or accidentally sit a certain way and maybe this thing just shuts off. I mean, it is literally something I can feel but can't see. It was on at the police station, but maybe it accidentally shut off. This version doesn't allow for remotely access listening or any way for anyone in real time to test that it is actually working. There is a lot of faith that we are putting into this tiny metal box that looks like something you put together with parts from Radio Shack. I need to get out of my head and focus on making it over to Lifetime Fitness's parking lot. I pull into the very large parking lot and start to drive up and down the aisles, trying to find one of Dugo's many cars that he may have driven that day. We do not have verification he was even actually here at this time. The lifetime parking lot is huge, with what seems like 300 individual parking spots, and the lot is more than half filled. I am keeping my head on a swivel and looking left and right as I creep slowly through the east side of the parking lot, and I am not seeing any of Dugo's vehicles on that side. I decide to drive down the middle of the lot towards the Lifetime Fitness entrance and do a look-see on the west side of the parking lot. I make a left and go down the first row, and again, I do not see one of Rick's many vehicles he had had at the time. I get to the end of the row and make a right-hand turn and head back down the second row towards the entrance. As luck would have it, I see Dugo's Mercedes S. 550 parked in the first spot of the second row. In typical Ricky Dugo fashion, 
The car is parked as if he backed into the spot or pulled through from the one behind him. I now have to find a spot to park in that is close enough to where his car is parked, as the walk from the front door to his car is about as short a walk as possible. The issue I am experiencing now is like export fitness after 4 p.m. during the work week. Lifetime fitness also gets very crowded at this time. I start to drive up and down the rows, but there isn't any open parking spot remotely close to the entrance. In fact, the entire six double rows on the west side of the lot were filled with cars, so I am now trying to find a parking spot on the east side of the lot that allows me to face west so that I can watch the front door. So I pull into a stall that is at least 100 yards away from both the front door and Dugo's gray Mercedes. I text Bill that Dugo is at the gym, but I am struggling to get close. I tell him I will watch the front door and try to get closer if a spot opens up. It is about 4.30 p.m. now. Being parked so far away, I don't really have a clear view of the lifetime entrance, and that was stressing me out. After about 20 minutes sitting in the same parking spot, I noticed a few lifetime members leaving, and they were walking towards the west lot. So I quickly start the car and pull out and find the road that they are going to be pulling out of. I had to think about how I would park the car as I needed the front end of the car to be facing as close to the entrance. I also needed a clear view of that entrance so that if there was a large pickup truck or van parked to the left of me, there was a good chance my direct view would have been blocked. A woman gets into a Jeep Wrangler and backs out of her spot. It is about two rows away west of Dugo's car, and it's about seven cars further towards the center of the aisle. I am closer, but not nearly close enough. I estimate if I see Dugo leaving the gym, it will take him about 20 to 30 seconds to walk from the entrance to his car, as he had primo rockstar parking. I would need to get out of my car and walk about that same distance to meet him in the parking lot. Looking back now, I should have applied myself more, especially in geometry, and studied more of those stupid math word problems. If Mr. Dugo is 200 feet away from his car and walks at 2.4 miles per hour, not directly in a straight line, how long will it take Mr. Dugo to get to his car? You know, shit like that. As I'm sitting there, the clock in my car reads 5.17 p.m. I am keeping my head up and keeping my eyes focused on the front door. I start to look in my side and rearview mirrors to see if I can spot the team of undercover cops that is lurking somewhere in this parking lot. In my rear view, I see the Jeep Grand Cherokee containing a few of the plainclothes Lake County sheriffs. The other vehicles are not anywhere where I can see them. If you are wondering what is going on in my head, I am doing my best to entertain myself and working on staying cool, calm, and collected. I am just trying to sort out if there is a throwdown in the lifetime parking lot. And let's say I am getting my ass kicked by a raging steroid meathead. How many licks will I have to take before they can intervene? I forgot to mention that I am big into probabilities and numbers. 
is there a 60% chance I get punched in the face today? Seriously, all I had was time alone, waiting for Rick Dugo to leave the gym. Maybe I am going a little out of my mind. This process of waiting in a parking lot trying to confront Ricky Dugo is not scientific by any means. It's a stakeout, and I am learning that I should have peed one more time before I left the police station as that fight-or-flight response was in full effect. I am hearing lines from certain movies play, even though the radio is not on in my car. It must have been in my head. The Blues Brothers came to mind. We're 106 miles to Chicago. We've got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. And just like that, something amazing happened. The car that was parked next to Dugo's scammed Mercedes S550 starts to pull out. I turn my beast of a station wagon on and quickly pull out and towards that spot. As I mentioned before, Rick had pulled through or backed into his spot, so the nose of his car was towards the street, and he could just pull forward out of his parking spot versus having to back out of it. I decided to pull into the spot so that I could keep my eyes on the door, and then my driver's side door was directly next to his driver's side door. At this moment, I know there will be a confrontation with Ricky Dugo. I am literally parked right next to him. And I have the best parking spot and bird's eye view of the Lifetime Fitness front doors. I text Detective Bill that I am in position and that this is going down here today. He responds, perfect, and tells me to get out of the car and asks me if I can take a picture of the license plate. I take the picture and text back that I know this is his car, as I know the tints he has on the windows. Rick has always used a film on the windows in what is called in the biz, limo dark mirrored tints. I tell Detective Bill that only assholes have that same tint, and it screams, I am an asshole. The last text I sent to Bill is at 5.44 p.m. I wrote, I hate this guy. Bill replied, I know. Play it cool. It'll pay dividends later. And so I did. I played it cool. Around 5.55, I decided I wanted to get out of my car and wait in between his car and mine. A few minutes later, Ricky Dugo exits Lifetime Fitness with his wife Shannon walking next to him. Now remember, Ricky Dugo had told me and nearly everyone else he had recently conned that he was getting divorced from Shannon. You may remember that being said in his recorded words in episode 3, The Trick, that recording is timestamped June 1st, 2018 at 9.06 a.m. Central Time. Something wicked this way comes. At first, Dugo doesn't see me. He is walking and talking to Shannon and not really scanning the entire parking lot. When he is about 30 feet away from me, he notices that I am next to his car door. Now, I am going to try my best to give you as much detail as I can remember about our conversation from memory. I will definitely have parts or pieces missing, but I will do my best to give you the full overview 
of this over here. It was about a 17-minute conversation, and it went something like this. notices I am standing next to his car, and he says very blatantly, what's up? He looks over to Shannon and tells her to get into the car, but right before he does that, he says to me, hey Adam, this is my wife Shannon, we are getting divorced, and he looks over at Shannon and asks her, isn't that right Shannon, we are getting divorced? She says, yes. That was a really bizarre way to be introduced to someone, but I go with it, and I say, nice to make your acquaintance, Shannon. Shannon gets into the car and shuts the door. Rick's tone now changes. He's moving closer to me. He is wondering what I am doing here, and what he really wants to know is how did I find him. He says, what are you doing here? I replied, I'm looking for you. He fires back. Someone must have told you I was here. Who told you, Adam? I say, I'm not going to go into that right now and tell you, Rick. It isn't important. He is raging. His eyes are bloodshot. And I can tell his heart rate was pumping as I can see the rope-like veins in his arms throbbing. I am sensing that he is going to want to get physical. He goes on pressing me. You seem confused, Adam. I'm not asking. I'm telling You're going to tell me who told you that I was here, and I'm going to tell you why. You have my number. You could have called me or texted me, but instead you come here in front of my family, and like what? You're going to make a scene? I will tell you what. Why don't we go around the back of Lifetime and settle this man-to-man? Maybe that will unconfuse you. I reply and say, Rick, I'm not here to fight. I am here to ask you for my money back. There are no whites left in his eyeballs. They are bloodshot, and the guy looks like he is literally going to blow a gasket. He says, let's settle this man-to-man. I'll even let you throw the first punch. This is what the Lake County Sheriff had warned me about, or maybe joked about, taking one for the team. Rick is clearly roid raging right now. The veins in his head are also throbbing. I have done nothing to provoke violence. I haven't made any threats or spoken to him in any tone that could be taken as threatening. Don't forget, I have a minor in acting, so I am merely playing along and waiting for him to throw a left hook. I say, Rick, I am standing here in front of you, toe-to-toe. I'm not afraid of you. You do not scare me. I am absolutely not intimidated by you anymore. I am looking you in the eyes and telling you I want my money back, man to man. If you want to get physical, fine. I am not a fighter, and you know that. So why don't you just tell me that you have my money and you're going to pay me back? Now, about this same time, I happened to see two old export fitness members that I was pals with walking out of the Lifetime Fitness entrance. They happened to be going to their parked car that was a row over. 
They stop and see Ricky Dugo and I talking in the parking lot. And they're like, hey, Adam, how's it going? And we carry on a brief conversation. It was a moment that I think helped to diffuse Ricky Dugo and the situation that was at hand. He starts to laugh a little in a sinister douchebaggery sort of way. He is almost frothing at the mouth like a rabid animal that someone needs to put down. There was a peaceful, easy feeling that had come over me. All the hide-and-go-seek, fight-or-flight nervousness had dissipated and literally disappeared. I am full-on committed to getting the information I need and what we need to do to use this for the future. I am confident and stoic, standing face-to-face with the man who I know has made a lifetime intimidating people. As he is looking at me, in my head I am saying, You don't scare me, Rick. You're just a giant piece of shit. You fucked with the wrong guy, motherfucker. I'm going to fuck you over so hard you won't know what to do. Confident and stoic. I was able to diffuse the situation. Rick had backed off of his go-to intimidation play and starts to almost talk gibberish. He starts telling me that since someone tried to fuck him over in reference to the Facebook spoof page, it completely spooked his guy that was supposed to get his order placed. And he was still looking for the guy and couldn't pay anybody what he owed until he handled it. Again, I am understanding that this is Rick Dugo tough talk for searching and destroying the guy. But I know for fact and with 100% certainty that Rick has absolutely zero connection to anybody in the mafia and or mob. This is just another seed he plants in your ear early on in the opportunity. And again, that seed plays out in the recording I made that you hear in episode three, The Trick. He states in the recording that he has a lot of high up friends. Alternatively, in person, he told me that he was connected. Now he's talking in circles. If you had a guy that buys 100 microwaves and that guy doesn't come through with the microwaves, there's nothing you can do as the cops aren't able to prosecute on a business deal that went sideways. Dougal is the one that seems confused, and to quote him, I really want to unconfuse him by telling him, Listen, motherfucker, you fuckface, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Microwaves for. I didn't buy microwaves from you. He is talking about microwaves over and over, almost in an attempt to wear me down. But in that moment, on that day, I realized that something was off and different about Ricky Dugo. Ricky Dugo, who was known as a career con man and grandmaster of deceit, has finally revealed his cards. The stress and pressure of being publicly exposed turned his world upside down. With so many potential victims that may have been the ones behind the Facebook profile page, he lost his focus and was consumed by figuring out who was trying to stick it to him. He lost track of his lies, He could no longer cover his ass. As I'm thinking that, 
a light bulb goes off in my head. He has no fucking idea what our deal was. He's looking at me, and in that moment, he can't recollect that I gave him money for Apple iPhone X. Boom, motherfucker. By confronting him in the Lifetime parking lot, after a barrage of so many public service messages warning our community, he has been forced to go off script. Dugo has always been well-polished and studied in the art of how to con someone. When he identified a potential target, he always utilized his past knowledge of what had made him successful to be persuasive and cunning. And I'm not going to remind him of what our deal was. All I say to him after his five-minute microwave attempt to stall and deflect is, Rick, I have no idea what you're talking about. He stops his monologue and asks me how much money he owes me. I say $18,700. He says he will have to rewind some things. And by rewind some things, he means he is going to start the process of getting back the money that he owes me. He looks at me and says he promises to get me my money back. He says with his divorce and everything that is going on, he won't be able to pay me the lump sum of $18,700, but says in his own words, he will start a payment plan and pay me back $1,000 a month until his debt to me is settled. I press him for a date, and he said ASAP, and in ASAP he means he would start in the next few months. He asks me if that will work, and I say I would prefer the entire amount at one time, but from the sound of things, Rick, you can't make that happen, so whatever, fine, pay me back a thousand bucks a month. And I press for his commitment, and he states 100% he will pay me back. I wanted you, the listener, to know that this is a very solid framework of the details I can recall from memory on that August 21st successful overhear mission. I have attempted on several occasions to obtain the actual audio of the conversation from the Lake County State's Attorney. I have even requested written transcription of this audio. All of my attempts to obtain this overhear have been unsuccessful. But I can tell you, as your trusted advisor in this very real and authentic true crime podcast, that these are the highlights of what went down that late summer evening in the parking lot of Lifetime Fitness. Walk up in this bitch life. Yeah, I'm really am. Talking my shit like. Bitch, I'm really him. Hold up. Shannon tells Rick it's time to go. They have a babysitter watching their kids, and this conversation, which was sprung upon Rick, has now come to an end. We part ways, and Rick and Shannon pull out of their spot and head out of Lifetime Fitness. I get back into my car, sit down, and take a few moments to decompress and breathe. I put on some music, 
and I close my eyes for a brief moment and let all of the bad dugoness go, and I fade to black. Detective Bill texts me at 6.23 p.m. and tells me to meet the team back at the Lake County Juvenile Center parking lot, which is one mile north of Lifetime Fitness. I tell him I will make my way there. I just needed to use the restroom, and I drive a block down to the mobile station and park my car and head to the restroom. I have been holding it for over two hours, and for those that remember the movie Naked Gun, what transpired next was straight out of the Frank Drebin long PC. If you haven't seen it, you got to watch it on YouTube. I'd completely forgotten in the moment that I was still wearing a wire, and I would guess if that recording really worked, it would be rather something silly to listen to. Not two minutes after I got back into my car to drive the mile up the street to the juvenile center of Lake County, my phone rings, and it's Ricky Dugo. I purposely did not answer the call, as I am thinking if there was a way to call him back and that recording could be recorded, maybe whatever he is calling about could have information that we could use in the future. About a minute later, I pull into the parking lot, and the team is standing around and they seemed to be really happy that the hard work and planning had potentially paid off. Before I start to debrief them on what I can remember about the overhear conversation, I let Detective Bill know that Dugo tried calling me two minutes ago, and I thought that we should record that conversation as well. Since I was already wearing a wire, and the court had already approved the overhear event for this specific window, Detective Bill and ADA Fred Day both agreed to strike while the iron was hot. So I got back into my car and turned it on, waited for the Bluetooth to sync up, and I called Dugo back. This was a very brief call, only for a few minutes. Rick was calling to apologize for having to bounce so quickly from the conversation we had just had at Lifetime Fitness. He went on to say that he knew he owed me 18000 and some change, and he said, let's just call it 19000 He said in his own words, he would start to pay me back September 10th, and then every 10th thereafter until it was done. I listened and said that is fine. I still preferred a lump payment. I would have to be okay with a payment plan unless he could get more money back to me sooner. What I hadn't noticed was that Rick sent me three text messages prior to calling me that I didn't see as I was driving to meet the team, and I had made that pit stop. At 6.29, which was five minutes after we parted ways, and I was most likely having that epic pee, he text messaged and says, we'll start at September 10th, then every 10th after that until it's done. Five minutes later, at 6.34 p.m., he texts back, okay, question mark. Then four minutes later, a third text at 6.38 saying, thought I'd call thinking you weren't getting the messages. I guess you are. You can let me know if you want to go in on that deal, unless I can get it quicker. I won't try calling you or bothering you again unless you call me. My takeaway from Rick's three text messages in nine minutes and a phone call on top of it is that he may have realized he had fucked up by not remembering the con that he got me for. 
He was trying to once again feel me out, back me off the ledge, buy more time, and reassure me that he was going to get me paid back. You have heard me say it before. All of this is bullshit. Even if he attempted to pay me back month to month, I would not have accepted any of this money. God's honest truth, and for a good reason. One we may attempt to explore on an upcoming episode of Studio 847's To Catch a Con Man. We are so thankful that you have taken the time to listen in to this episode of To Catch a Con Man. Without your support, we would not be able to get the word out. You just listened to Something Wicked This Way Comes, a harrowing tale of standing up for yourself and finding strength deep down in all of the victim's stories. Dugo goes off script and loses track of what he took Adam for. We appreciate your listenership and hope that you have found this story worthy of your time. If this can happen to Adam, this too can happen to you. On the next episode of To Catch a Con Man, during the summer of 2018, while Dugo is scamming Adam, we find two more victims. Let's go hunting as we search for a whale.